0: Each episode should connect you with someone else's story, but also leave you with practical tips and advice that you can use in your own life and in your own business.
1: Today, we're speaking with Diane Wingert, a former psychotherapist and current life coach that's focused on helping high-achieving women with the symptoms and effects of ADHD. Today, health experts estimate that 60
0: to 70 percent of entrepreneurs have ADHD, a disorder that unfortunately often goes
1: undiagnosed in girls and women. In this episode, Diane will talk about how her struggles during childhood led to a lifetime study of mental health and resilience, and how she transitioned her former career in research as a psychotherapist into a business as a practicing life coach. Additionally, we'll discuss the signs of ADHD in high-achieving women and
0: how to know when it's time to seek help. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Diane. How are you today?
2: Well, I've been so looking forward to this. You two are the only ones I'm talking to on Valentine's Day. <laughs>
0: Aww, happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> Thank you. you too. Or Galentine's Day as yeah. we prefer Galentine's to call it. Galentine's is more appropriate. Let's yeah. go with that. <laughs> yeah. And where are you calling in from?
2: I am calling in from the currently snowy Portland, Oregon. I have lived in Los Angeles all my life. But my husband and I um, decided it was time for a new adventure, so we relocated here almost two years ago, and this is the first time that there's been a true snow.
0: Wow. We got
2: stuck, and neighbors came to our rescue and helped us dig our car out, so that's a good way to meet people, turns out.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so have you built a snowman, like a proper snowman then?
2: Um, no, not yet, but I suppose that's (laughs) probably on the... I'm going to have to do that and then send you a picture on Instagram.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to need to see your first snowman. Otherwise, it's a wasted opportunity. (laughs) And this is actually... I have gloves
2: and a hat, Yeah, there you
0: go. She's prepared. And this is actually going to air in the summertime, so... Or at least late spring, so... Um, Mm. It will be a moot point by then, but we'll all go back and look at the photo. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so we are really fascinated because you have already let us in on a couple of secrets that we didn't know before, especially about entrepreneurs and mental health. So mm-hmm. um, why don't you start by who you are, where you came from, how you became the woman you are today?
2: I'd love to. Um, So my name is Diane Michelle Wingert and that's Hmm. Michelle with one L, not two, but Diane with two N's and no E's. It's very complicated. (laughs) I was actually born in Hollywood, California and I am adopted. So I was adopted um, actually before birth. And I'm a little bit older than you two, so this was at a time when um, there really were not good ways to deal with an unwanted pregnancy other than Mm -hmm. have someone else raise your child. So Mm -hmm. I was adopted into a family that grew quite a bit over the next few years with a number of adopted children. Unfortunately, it was an abusive family, which is kind Mm. of a strange Uh, thing. Why bring kids into your life if you don't know how to take care of them? Yeah, But part of my story is that it prepared me for two things. One, it prepared me to become a psychotherapist because I had a crazy mother Mm
0: -hmm. and
2: I had to figure out how to deal with her or I was going to be as messed up as my brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. And the second thing it prepared me for was resiliency because you, you can't always sidestep because you can't always see what's coming your way. And so when you go down and you get back up and you go down and you get back up and you learn that no matter what comes at you, you can handle it, that turns out to be very good preparation for all kinds of things in life. And I think it's one of the reasons why I consider myself a genuine badass.
1: you. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: sound no like one. Yeah. No you know what? I think some of the most interesting, well, no, I don't think, I know that some of the most interesting people that I know have had really rough childhoods. You know, and yes. it's interesting to see like the strength and resilience that that creates, and finding your own path and and that kind of thing. So, hats off to you. I commend you. That's it's an incredible story.
1: Yeah, was psychotherapy I something? Th- I,
2: it's probably the most fascinating thing to me, mm-hmm. honestly, is what actually determines resiliency in one person mm-hmm. from another. Because I was a therapist for many years before transitioning into coaching, and most of the people who were traumatized in even some of the ways that I was did not fare so well. Mm -hmm. And it's always fascinated me. I mean, anybody who knows Oprah knows Mm -hmm. that she had a horrible childhood and look Mm -hmm. at her. Mm -hmm. So there's a small percentage of people who go through a lot of stuff and experience what is called post-traumatic growth. They actually become better Mm -hmm. for the things they went through. Right. And a lot of other people become damaged for life. It's it's very sad I think if I could make one contribution to mankind I'd like to figure out what makes a difference and then see how we can get that into more people.
1: Yeah, yeah. cuz is that like then like the brain chemistry then rather than the actual or the other factors
0: maybe besides yeah. just the abuse or the trauma that you experienced. Mm. I don't know.
2: Yeah, there's so many different variables and People much smarter than us have been studying it for years, I'm sure. Yeah,
0: yeah. You know what's interesting? And a lot of resilient people, especially when you're, like, in your early 30s and, you know, kind of young but not, you know, (laughs) not a baby anymore. Not too young. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you don't realize that you're resilient until someone else tells you that you're resilient. Like, I remember having this moment, um, you know, because I had all kinds of stuff, all kinds of crap that we've talked about on the podcast, you know, with different people, you know, when they – They reveal their crap. I reveal mine. (laughs) But, you know. It's
2: like show and tell, right? Yeah,
0: it's like fun. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, wow. That is awesome. Oh, well, what about this? Um, But, um, you know, I was talking to a woman on a plane once. And it was like a really... I don't know, five or six hour journey. And we were having a cocktail together and talking and I was headed to a work project and we just really got into our lives. You know how sometimes you just connect with a person? Mm. And I was mm-hmm. like 32 and I remember her looking at me and being like, wow, you are resilient as fuck. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I never mm-hmm. had thought of that. you looking about- over your shoulder yeah. at the person behind you, right? But it's almost like sometimes another woman or someone else has to tell you like, that's incredible. You've done a damn good job. And then you're like, oh, wow, maybe I have, you know?
2: Oh, my goodness. We could take that in so many different directions. Mm. You probably have heard of the confidence gap. Yes. Um, What is it? Can you explain that Yes, the article in The Atlantic, I think it was in 2018, that went into extensive detail on it, but Mm -hmm. how a man will apply for a job when he's maybe Uh, halfway qualified and feel really good about it, but a woman wouldn't even think about applying unless she had 100% of the criteria. And even then, she'll consider herself lucky if she gets it. I think we expect so much of ourselves
0: Mm -hmm. and
2: don't recognize how incredible we are until someone else points it out. And even then, we're like, oh, you know, not really. It's like, you know, somebody tells you you have pretty eyes and then you say, oh, it's the makeup or it's the contacts or... You know, whatever. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Own that. yeah. Own yeah. It.
0: There's another extension to that study where they talked about how a man and within a company, two people in the same position, a man and a woman, a man will be promoted based on what his boss thinks he could do. And a woman <sighs> will be promoted based on what she's already proven and what what she's yeah. already done. Right. So it's It's like, yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting how these things play out, even with people who have the best intentions and even with, you know, um, situations where there's no overt. um, It's not like there's overt misogyny or overt. It's just the way that society has conditioned us Mm -hmm. to view men versus women.
2: Yeah, it's true. We are all under the same influences, mm-hmm. and while we may interpret them differently based on our gender, it's like everybody's drank the Kool Aid. That's the only thing that's offered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We don't even know. I, I it's like I talk about um, the influence of female hormones on our decision making. Like, mm. for example, did you know that from the time you have your first period until the time you go through menopause. You are under the influence of a very powerful psychoactive substance called estrogen. It is mm. called the tendon befriend hormone for a reason because it actually programs you to be very concerned about other people mm-hmm. and their needs and their wishes and their wants and their preferences yeah. and their priorities more than your own. Yeah. Which is why when women go through menopause and they, they call it the fuck you 50s because all <laughs> of a sudden they're like, it literally can go overnight. Aww. This is what you have to look forward to. This is what you have to look forward to. My mom's still in those, and go, she's like
0: 60-something now. we had oh, oh, to send her no, this episode.
2: It's a switch. No, it's okay. a switch. Once you flip it, it doesn't go back. It, it's a one-way <laughs> thing, you know? You literally go from, oh, honey, what's for dinner, to get your own fucking dinner. Like, boom, just like that, you know? Cut wet. That is so it. funny. It's been the best time of my life. In the, oh, my I life. see this
0: play out all the time, though. Like, for instance, when I see an issue with someone in the workplace, I will like try to approach it from their point of view, almost to the point where I'm throwing away my own feelings, you know, and I'll be like, okay, well, maybe I could do this to make it better for them. Or maybe I could do that to make them feel more comfortable with me Mm -hmm. or whatever. And I'm so focused on making the other person feel good and be okay that you forget like, oh, it matters that I'm okay as well. You know, and this is like 15, 16, 17 years. How many years have I been in my career now? What age am I? 37? Okay, 17 years into my career. You know, it's yeah. crazy.
2: So are you saying that? Well, it makes you popular. That's, see, yeah. this is the other thing. Yes, we're, <laughs> we're, we're culturally conditioned, all of us. We drank the Kool-Aid. We've got estrogen bubbling through our pipes and, you know, making mm-hmm. us think, oh, I wonder what They'd like, and mm-hmm. oh, I, don't, I shouldn't speak up. I've said too much already. Let me give others a turn. And uh, I think it makes you non threatening when you do that. Mm-hmm. The woman who knows her own mind and shares it without being invited to is considered threatening, intimidating, mm-hmm. the B word, and all that. And, you know, unless you are on the fast track to becoming the most unpopular person in your company. Most women will hold back. And I think it's one of the reasons why so many of us with big mouths and big minds end up working as entrepreneurs because mm. we're, not, we're not that um, manageable. Yes. You know, we don't always say what people want to hear.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I can right? relate. <laughs> well, and you have to or you have to adopt. You know, I have found myself adopting more male qualities in order to be more manageable. You know, in order to be more – to communicate with my peers and my colleagues in the way that they understand. I consciously mm. sometimes will adopt more male techniques for communication. Um, for example. For example. Um, well, or or techniques that make males feel comfortable, right? Like what I've okay, noticed gotcha. – um, you know, men are always men in the workplace and several companies that I've worked at, are always concerned that women are upset. So if we are direct about something, like too direct about something sometimes, or we are, you know, um, our voice, our, our tone of voice changes or whatever, they will interpret that as us being upset. Or being emotional mm. when sometimes mm. we're just being direct, you know, like I'll be like, oh, I'm just being direct, you know. It's and though well, she seemed very unhinged, you know. <laughs> like it'll take this
2: Oh my goodness. You no, know, I
0: I wasn't unhinged. We just needed to solve this problem really quickly. And I was being really direct and asking you for a couple things, you know, and that's it. You know, that that's all. It's it's that deep. Um, but I I consciously i'm very aware of my tone of voice i'm very aware of how little things come across like how i slack people you know and and their interpretations of my communication Mm. because i've worked with a bunch of guys for a long time yeah (laughs) yeah
2: it's such an energy drain i mean i'm a very direct person yeah and um it I think people respect me. Yeah. Some of them admire me, but mm-hmm. they won't necessarily want to date me, make me <laughs> or be my friend. Um, mm. Because I, actually, I, you'll, you'll appreciate this. I had a woman once hire me and I asked her, why? Why, why did you choose me? Because I, I always want to know. Mm. And she said, well, I was working with another coach who dared me to do something scary. And I thought, well, I think I've kind of come to the end of this coaching agreement, and I think I need to work with someone else who's the scariest person I can think of. And I'm like, (laughs) no. I mean, I thought she was pulling my leg. I said, I'm not scary. She said, Yes, you are. Huh. Why?
0: Why am I scary? You're very smart.
2: (laughs) She said, You're very smart. You're very direct. You tell people exactly what's on your mind. And you tell people what they need to hear not what they want to hear. Yeah. And I said, you know what? You may think that's scary, but one of my favorite clients, who happens to be a man, uh-huh. once dubbed me, and I, it's the best compliment I've ever had. He says, Diane, you know who you are? You're the speaker of uncomfortable truths.
0: Mm. Mm.
2: Yeah. And I'm like, fuck me. That is the best compliment <laughs> I've ever That's a great botch. Received. to her.
1: Yeah. Oh, my
2: God. And coming from a man, I was like, Yes, I have arrived.
1: (laughs) Do you think your? But
2: I'm not for everybody. Do you you think?
1: Do you think your upbringing led you to be more direct and just assert yourself more?
2: Such a good question. Mm. I'm sure it did because growing up, even though my mother, my adoptive mother, was the crazy one, she she was legitimately ill, uh, and very abusive and manipulative. And my adoptive father was a very quiet, introverted, I used to call him the phantom father because he was literally never around. In fact, I I had a little game I would play for a little bit when he would come home at night and he'd hang up his jacket in the foyer. I would go into his wallet and take out a dollar, two dollars, three dollars. And I would increase the amount over time just to see if he noticed. Huh. I didn't want the money, I didn't have any plans for it. Yeah. It wasn't enough to make a difference to him or me, but it was like, who is this guy? I mean, he would just barely come around. So we were all just really left to our own defenses with this crazy woman. But we lived in a nice neighborhood and I understand because of that, I'm white, I grew up upper middle class, mm-hmm. that makes me privileged. Mm -hmm. I happened to have grown up in what was really like some kind of version of the Hunger Games. But um, it was in a nice neighborhood. It was safe. It was clean. It was quiet. Mm -hmm. We had enough to eat. Um, So I had a lot of advantages in that respect. And I grew up around people who were treated well. So I knew how to behave by watching them. Mm -hmm. And I knew what a normal family looked like when I was able to make friends with other kids and be invited to their house. But I did eventually have to cut off each of my friends because at some point, they say, how can we always come to my house? Let's go to your house. And I was never allowed to have anybody at my house, so I would have to sort of cut them off. And right. I think over time, I'll tell you a little story. One of the things that I know for a fact made me a more direct person mm-hmm. Was one of the kinds of crazy that my adoptive mother was. Was um, she was a shoplifter, and really? she, yeah, we had huh. enough money. She did it for fun. Mm-hmm. She did it to be some kind of a little rebel. But my job, and this was back in the days before you had the digital price tags on everything.
0: Mm-hmm. There were
2: literal physical little stickers, even in a nice department store. Yeah. So my, I actually job still remember
0: dis- those days. <laughs>
2: Okay, good. So, I was standing at my job was to stand at the end of the aisle and to watch and make sure no manager, security guard, supervisor wow saw her while she would be switching the tags. Wow. And there were also things, I mean, I was not allowed to tell anybody I was adopted, so there were lies that I had to memorize and repeat. Now, we mm-hmm. will get into this a little bit further, mm-hmm. but I have ADHD. Yeah. And one of the ways that affects people is we tend to have really poor memories. Yeah. Maybe brilliant ideas, but we can't hang on to them. Okay. So being coached to lie and to misrepresent and to cover up her stealing meant I would be put on the spot and possibly confronted by somebody. And I couldn't keep my story straight. I couldn't remember which version of what I was supposed to tell who. Yeah. And it was so much torture I was so anxious about that and I just decided you know what I'm just going to tell the truth because then I won't forget I won't mess it up and then I realized that when you tell the truth you tend to attract other people who tell the truth and who appreciate those who do so all the superficial people all the liars all the manipulators they just ran in the other direction which was fine by me
0: Mm yeah yeah Wow. It's, wow. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. um, So anyway, so I, so, okay. You've got these coping techniques and then this kind of emergence of yourself. Like, it's almost like who you, and this is me analyzing you and you're the psychotherapist by training. So, Go for it. <laughs> but it seems it. Like, like you to took, yeah, you took this, you know, these experiences and they taught you what you didn't want right mm-hmm. and you and who you didn't want to be um and as you're coming to your own really um you know how did that translate into your career and then like who you became professionally um and what were the overlaps there like what did that journey look like
2: such good questions well i can see different areas in my life where it definitely paved the way for example you know, a lot of people who had an abusive childhood have this crazy notion that they're going to grow up and they're going to get married and they're going to have kids and they're going to do it right. Like Mm. based on what, I mean, when I think about it now, I realize, oh my God, that's the most ridiculous thing. Like with no, no awareness what a normal family looks like, you're just going to somehow figure it out. Most people who have been abused just assume they will. So... Yeah. My goal was pretty basic. I wanted to become the parent I wished I'd had. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I made mistakes, certainly plenty of them. But I have three adult kids. We are all very close. They are some of my best friends. And I've owned every mistake I've made with them. Mm-hmm. Um and they are like, Mom, get over it. Like it's totally fine. Like, whatever. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they thought I made a big bigger deal out of it than I did. Yeah. But it was important to me to have really good relationships with my kids. I'm in my third marriage. I intend to stay in it, but I do know that um, being married more than once is uh, absolutely related to childhood and to trust and to mm. yeah. um, having a hard time with attachment yeah and sustaining connection and all that. And that's something I've, I've certainly had a lot of therapy. I, you know, I would say my mother was my first therapy client, even though she didn't know it, because I was some of the time able to figure out what she was up to and sort of talk her down, if you will. Mm -hmm. She tried to kill herself a few times, and Mm -hmm. I encountered her in Mm -hmm. the act and was able to convince her not to, which if you're like a 10 or 12-year-old kid, like that's nothing, no kid should ever have to do something like that. Of course. But you know what? This is so bizarre. I was good at it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was good
2: at it. You know why? Because I wasn't afraid. I understood that I had an opportunity to have an impact. I, I knew somehow very clearly that it was the right thing to do. I mean, I could have thought, go ahead, I don't care, I'd be better off without you. But I realized no, it's I, this is what I need to do. And I realized that I'm persuasive. Yep. And I think quickly under pressure. Yeah, and I am not afraid of things that other people would go. Oh God, I like I I got really good, for example, at working with people who had been sexually abused, people who were suicidal. Whereas yeah. other therapists are like, uh, no, thank you. Yeah, because um, yeah. that's that's tough. That's deep heavy stuff. Yeah. But it's sort of like it was baked into me by then. So it was not my first career, though. Believe it or not, my um, I went to UCLA
0: mm-hmm
2: and I loved it there um it was very exciting and very diverse and um always interesting things going on and but by the time I finished I had a degree in communication I had this idea that I was going to go into broadcasting or journalism or public relations advertising something like that but I didn't have any connections and I didn't have any support after college and I didn't know anybody in any of those fields so I kind of wandered around a little bit and uh, did a few different things, worked in the fitness industry, um, hmm. worked in pharmaceuticals. I ended up actually working in medical sales for a few years because I, I like sales. I'm very goal-oriented. Yeah, But I think I must have had something like a midlife, early midlife crisis. I was still in my 30s and I had a dream where hmm. I imagined I was observing my own funeral and everyone there was talking about how much I had increased market share and you know, what a great sales rep I was mm-hmm. and you know, they're going to have a hard time replacing me. And I was like, oh, what the hell? Is this really what I want to be remembered for? And yeah. around that time, I was rear-ended on the freeway, on the 405 freeway. Oh. And my youngest of three, my little girl, two years old at the time, was in the back seat mm-hmm. and uh, the guy behind me, while the traffic had stopped and the guy behind me was just distracted, absent-minded, just not present and just ran right into me. And um, I ended up with a permanent injury to my neck and a chronic pain problem that I will have for the rest of my life. My daughter was fine, but the time that it left me out of work while I was recovering and having all kinds of procedures done gave me enough time to really think, all right, you're going to go back to that job in medical sales or are you going to do something else? And as luck would have it, I once I had recovered enough, I needed to do something. I started volunteering at a community mental health center. I just thought, well, there must be something I could do. It was close to my house. I wasn't yet able to drive, so I could walk there. Mm. And they said, well, what are your interests? And I'm like, I just need to get out of the house and keep busy while I figure out the next stage of my life. And so the woman doing the interview said, um, do you have any abuse history? And I laughed out loud. I mean, it was like, it was kind of inappropriate actually, but I'm like, do I? You know, in addition to the mother when How I was 19. How much time do I you have, have? Really? Where do we start? Can someone go get us coffee? This might take a while. You know, but I'd also had an abusive boyfriend when I was 19, which is not at all unusual for someone with my childhood experience. Because you seek it out, said,
0: correct? Isn't that like what, I? that's what I've heard. That's that's what you know is love mm-hmm. or something. Yeah.
2: Is that There's another theory. Uh, uh, No, not exactly. Is that not it? Oh, okay. (laughs) No, but I just need to tweak your language just a little bit. It's not that that we seek it out. I think that you've heard the expression water seeks its own level.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: I think the way it works is neurologically, energetically, maybe even spiritually, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: we tend to attract things to us that seem familiar. Gotcha. And I also think that many people who have difficult childhoods either think they were somehow responsible, so they may accept bad treatment from others in adulthood without recognizing they can go now. Mm
0: -hmm. And also,
2: there's something called a repetition compulsion.
0: Yeah, okay. That...
2: Basically you're trying to fix the past by fixing it in a current relationship that maybe doesn't exactly resemble the previous one but it makes you feel the same way. Wow. Yeah. And so we're trying to fix ourselves through some means and but to say that we would con consci- to seek it out it sort of implies consciousness and I think you'd right. have to be a masochist to Actually, want Right. To see that, but it is <laughs> yeah. very common.
1: Before, yeah. Got, it's
2: actually very, very common.
1: So, so you obviously re, then retrained to become a psychotherapist. What In your sort of 20s and in the time before you did this, did you ever have an interest in it and realize how much it could actually help you? Because it sounds like by becoming a psychotherapist, it actually helped you to deal with a lot of your kind of past trauma. Is that a, a
2: correct? interpretation yes I I had I had had um, some psychotherapy and I think the first time I actually went was when I had already graduated from UCLA with my bachelor's in communication I had a boyfriend I had a job I had an apartment and I remember thinking well this is it then you know like I didn't really realize my expectations were kind of modest but I thought Well, because up to that point in life, and I think this is important, I would sort of try to figure out why I didn't feel happy, why I didn't feel content, why I didn't feel fulfilled. And so I would always go down this list, um, like a checklist. Well, is this happening? No. Is this happening? No. Is this happening? No. Is that happening? No. None of these things are happening? Well, then you should be happy. Mm -hmm. Hmm. As though the absence of pain and drama should equal happiness. I'm like, that's not the kind of math problem we should be working with here. It's like, Mm. where is the joy? Where is the passion? Where is the purpose? Where is the connection? Where is the, you know, I wasn't looking for the pluses. I was just looking for an absence of minuses. Right. So I thought there's something, I mean, clearly I felt something was missing, but I had no idea what it was because nobody was treating me badly and, You know, I had enough to eat and there wasn't anything horribly wrong. Well, also, what year was this?
0: I mean, women's expectations, (laughs) you know, like we were culturally conditioned as women to have lower expectations, I think, in the past. um,
2: Yeah, it would have been in the 80s. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Because my mom, we've had this conversation and she says a lot of the same thing. Like there was one path for women and you were supposed to be happy with that path or one Mm -hmm. prevalent path, I guess. And you were supposed to be happy with that path. And if you weren't happy, it was almost like, well, what's wrong with you kind of thing rather than "Well, what's wrong with the situation?
2: Yes. Well, and I think, you know, just, you know, throughout life, anytime you are different in mm-hmm. any way, mm-hmm. you want more, you want less, you want mm-hmm. other or you wanted this, but now you want that. Right. You are you're given the stink eye. And the interrogation, it's like, Mm -hmm. and I remember when I decided I wanted to leave my second husband, I had a girlfriend who dumped me as a friend. We've been friends for years. Mm -hmm. And I said, why? She said, well, if you think you're too good for him now, I'm sure I'll be next. I'm like, what? Too good?
0: What is too? What? (laughs) It was ridiculous.
2: I said, one has nothing to do with the other. I'm mm. not getting a divorce because I think I'm too good for him. Mm-hmm. She was looking at it as I had just finished my master's program at UCLA on my way to becoming a therapist and because she only completed high school in her mind now I had a master's degree now I think I'm too good for my husband who didn't have one. And surely I was going to get rid of her next. I'm like, "Oh my god, I'm so you're not that important." I mean I'm, I really I, I Who makes that assumption? It made no sense to me whatsoever. But I do think women's expectations have increased over time, and at least for some women, there are opportunities as well. So Mm, I say the more the better.
1: And and now you you actually describe yourself as a former psychotherapist because you're now a mindset and productivity coach. And you Mm -hmm. mentioned earlier that we'd be touching on ADHD and. You actually are an expert in ADHD in women, and I would mm-hmm. love to know more about this and why you specialised in ADHD in this field. I'm I'm guessing it's because you were missed, like undiagnosed when you were younger, and wanted to explore. You're so, so. good.
2: Listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and as a matter of fact, this is actually I think it's fascinating. Okay. Mm-hmm. In the 90s, when I was in grad school at UCLA, and it's a very prestigious university, mm-hmm. very prestigious training program. I was at the Neuropsychiatric mm-hmm. Institute. Wow. And I by at, at that point in time, my kids were young, and my oldest son had been identified with ADHD at the age of eight. So I knew how it looked in little hyperactive, impulsive boys, mm-hmm. and I had learned so much to advocate for him and help him and... Uh, deal with his behaviors at home in the community and elsewhere that I was attracted to working with other families like ours because I, by that time, had so much experience. So my supervisors were more than happy to put me on the case. As I start continue to work with these boys, I started being curious because the thinking at that time was ADHD is something that happens to about 5% of little boys and they outgrow it by the time they're teenagers. And uh, that's the end of the story. When I was working with these boys, I thought, you know, I've only got these kids a couple hours a week. I think I would get more, I'd have more impact if maybe I could meet with their parents and tell them what they're doing in group and maybe see if they could reinforce some of this at home. So my supervisors are like, oh, these overeager interns, sure, knock yourself out, go for it. So I started meeting these parents and I'm like, wait a minute. Some of these dads were absolutely as hyperactive, impulsive, (laughs) distractible, inattentive, and yet everybody was telling me, "Mm mm-mm, they outgrow it by the time they're teenagers. So I approached my supervisors and preceptors and said, okay, I know what I want to do my thesis on, ADHD in adulthood. And, of course, they all laughed. Mm. They said, no, 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 there is no ADHD in adulthood. And I said, I'm not so sure about that. So they said, sure, knock yourself out. They figured I was going to have to start all over at the last minute because I wasn't going to find anything. Got Mm. my project approved. I did all these interviews and I had only been able to talk to men So because we weren't even thinking about women. So I proved to myself that ADHD does persist into adulthood, but... They went ahead and you know approved my paper, I got my degree, I got my first job, I went on with my career and I really stopped thinking about it. Fast forward another decade or so, maybe 15 years, my daughter is identified as ADHD in college. Huh. By this time, the field had moved on to the point where they now know it is just as prevalent In females, as it is in males, and by the year 2000 was when ADHD in adults was finally added to the psychiatric bible. Wow! So if I had just stuck with it, I could have claimed that title. (laughs) I could have been like, "I discovered ADHD in adulthood." Well, it's very grandiose of me, but the truth is, is that you don't find what you're not looking for. Right. And we have not been looking for this in girls and let me tell you why boys with ADHD are hyperactive and impulsive in other words they're disruptive to the classroom Uh Mm -hmm. teachers cannot have that Mm -hmm. so they call the parents the kid gets assessed maybe he gets on medication or he gets some other sort of behavioral help and end of story girls partly because of our cultural conditioning, Mm -hmm. partly because of our neurobiology, and partly because ADHD expresses itself differently in females, Mm. we are not disrupting the classroom with few exceptions. More likely, we are quietly underachieving, doodling on a notepad instead of paying attention, drawing pretty pictures, fantasizing in our heads, and feeling anxious when the teacher calls on us when we're like, Huh? Mm, it's not yeah. a problem for a teacher if a little girl isn't achieving her potential. And I that makes me furious yeah. because these little girls grow up to be big girls who still have ADHD and they don't know about it until one or more of their own children get identified, if ever.
1: Yeah. Wow. So how do you know That's if, the you, story? if you have it? like Yeah, what, what, <laughs> for all, everyone listening right yeah, now. <laughs> it kind of sounds like, so if you are... A procrastinator.
2: <gasps> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> okay, what, let me t- let me get. I don't want you to. I don't want you to convince yourself. No, no, these no. These are no. what these are the traits we look for. Okay. Inattentive, distractible, mm-hmm. great at starting, shitty at finishing. Mm. Very excitable. When you find something new, it's like a new friend, a new hobby, a new interest, a new book. You dive in head first, you become totally obsessed with it. You consume everything that you can find on it. And then inexplicably days, weeks, months, possibly years later, you're like, eh, not so much anymore. <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, you <laughs> have check, tons check, and tons and tons of great ideas. They literally just come to you like like you're clicking a pen. Click, 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 click. Mm-hmm. I refer to it as like fireflies. I can name other people's kids, businesses, lipstick colors. Like I come up with witty sayings. I've named businesses for everybody I've ever married to and half the friends I've ever had. (laughs) Um, It's just a fast brain, quick start, high tolerance for risk. I'm Mm -hmm. telling you the good things. The challenging things that develop, especially in women, Mm -hmm. procrastination perfectionism, mm. people pleasing, the mm. three i call the unholy trinity, mm. low self-esteem, mm. a tendency to get into dysfunctional or codependent relationships, oftentimes eating disorders, mm. addictive Fair. substance kind of disorders and massive amounts of anxiety and depression, which for most of us we we get really stressed out with the challenges of life, knowing that you have this brilliant brain, but it just can't seem to work well all the time.
1: Yeah. There's highs and
2: lows. So you get you get anxious because you can't demonstrate what you know. There's a lot of performance anxiety, a lot of test anxiety. Mm. You you could have all the right answers, all the right ideas, better thoughts than anybody in the room but when you're put on the spot to deliver it's like blank mm, you know okay so these types of things create a lot of anxiety and eventually you get worn down of trying to meet life's expectations and so you get depressed Interesting. you take yourself into a therapist office you're going to get a diagnosis of anxiety or depression or both nobody's going to keep digging to find the adhd
1: yeah right so how how well obviously like Nat and I have sat here in the studio together, and you were reeling off the list of like the good traits and the bad traits, and we were kind of going. Oh,
2: and you're pointing at each that other. That sounds laughing. like
1: me. That sounds <laughs> we like just, her. <laughs> we just were. <laughs> but like, but not every one of those applies to me. Like, I'd say I have a right. firefly brain. I've got loads of ideas. I am a procrastinator. Sometimes when I'm stressed, I procrastinate because it's mm-hmm. almost like the stress of doing it. I don't know. It's some weird thing
2: adrenaline and dopamine, baby. You're going yeah. for the head drugs, yeah? yeah? Yeah,
1: but I don't. I'm not an anxious person. I don't really get depressed, and I. I don't have mind blanks. So then what does that make me? Does that just make me a... Also, you've stuck with your husband for like 13 years. (laughs) (laughs) So that's one project you haven't
2: given up on. I commend you for that. You know what? And Here's the thing. And I think this is something that most people don't really understand about mental health. So I'm really glad that you're asking it very directly. Mm. Everybody has traits.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right?
2: If you have them really bad all the time, then we will call them symptoms.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: If you only perform poorly or have certain types of behavioral traits under certain stressful conditions, and then when the conditions improve, they go away, you don't have a disorder. The difference between somebody who has certain traits and someone who can be diagnosed with a disorder Mm -hmm. is frequency, intensity, and duration. Yeah. So... Anybody can have some of these traits. And frankly, these days, you know, ADD is spoken of like, oh, everybody has that. Or, mm. oh, I, it's you know, it's not really ADD. You're just like lazy, right? Or they say, <laughs> oh, I, I'm having such an ADD moment. I'm like, honey, Mm-mm. if you have ADD, all <laughs> ADD moments. Yeah. But you can appear your symptoms or traits can be more pronounced. But here's the biggest difference. Some people learn how to manage these traits really well, even from early childhood. Like there are very well-known people in all kinds of fields who have ADHD. Mm -hmm. Um, Swimmers, gymnasts are two of the categories because the discipline and the routine and the structure of their life is so regimented. Mm -hmm. It brings out the best in someone with this kind of brain. Creative fields, fields where there are life and death conditions like police officers, firefighters, military, emergency mm-hmm. room personnel, skydiving instructors, anybody who's, you know, like diffusing bombs for the military. They need hyper focus and really intense minds. So if you have ADHD and you know how to manage yourself It's not a disorder. I think it's an unfair advantage. If you don't know that you have it and you don't structure your life to work with it, Mm -hmm. you could be a freaking disaster.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's really
2: fascinating how it could go to one extreme or the other.
1: What do you think about... So I I, um, find myself getting wound up by the way that we use language these days um, to describe how we're feeling about things. So I, I really... I think it's interesting how you put that you can have traits but they're not necessarily symptoms so i feel mm-hmm. like recently in the last few years and i don't know if it's from watching keeping up the kardashians where they say this phrase all the time but people talk about their anxiety and how they're so anxious all the time and mm-hmm. and talk about anxiety like it's it's just nerves it's like you're Casual. nervous they can they're worried. yeah you're worried that's yeah. okay that's a normal emotion it doesn't mean that you have anxiety but it's almost like anxiety has crept into the vocabulary as meaning nervous or right. worried about something yeah. is this something- same
2: thing with ADD yeah there's a lot of people who will just say that that you know we have an ADD well I'm the only one who uses a word like this because it's a made-up word but <laughs> it's an we have an ADD genic culture and what they mean by that or what I mean by that is yeah we have data points Pinging at our heads like faster than the speed of light. Like, there's so much information overload. There's, Mm -hmm. we are all being digitally manipulated and influenced like Mm -hmm. to the extreme degree. And that does scatter the brain's focus. Mm -hmm. It's now said that somebody was, uh, I was watching a a webinar on uh, online marketing and it said, the average human attention span is now 8 seconds which is 1 yes. second less than a goldfish
0: yes <laughs> so
2: people quote things like which you know that's that's all very entertaining but but basically the notion is that It's just our culture. Like, everybody's got a short attention span. Everybody has problems delaying gratification. We're all being manipulated. Didn't you see that movie about, like, how Instagram and Pinterest? Yeah, social dilemma. You know,
1: Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah,
2: great movie. But now, see, the thing is, is that that movie is true. It is true that our brains are being bombarded with highly stimulating um environments that are intended to influence dopamine. And Mm -hmm. that's the whole point with ADHD. We have a defect in our dopamine delivery system. So we get hooked on things that will give us that quick hit, which is why you see kids with ADHD getting totally fixated on video games. But Mm -hmm. let's say you are an ADHD entrepreneur and you get fixated on, you know, um, achieving a certain goal you're going to go after it like a beaver building a dam and nothing is going to distract you. So you can either be highly distractible or you can be so hyper-focused that you forget to pick your kids up from daycare. I did it once. <laughs> <laughs> was not my greatest moment, especially when they charge you like five dollars for each minute you're late. Oh wow!
1: Oh, was that
0: all it was back <laughs> like, then? Ooh. Now I think it's like twenty-five mm-hmm. bucks or something. It's oh like
2: yeah. Some sort of insane or they just fee. put your kid up for adoption if you don't show up within fifteen minutes. <laughs> they called
1: Children's services. It's an open market, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's intense. So you mentioned that sixty to seventy percent of entre- entrepreneurs could actually have ADHD, whether they know it or it's not. It's
2: so true. Wow. Huh. In fact, there, yeah, there's a there's a guy. I forget which university he's. He might be at uh, Syracuse in New York, but um, his name is Johann Wickland. You might want to um, reference him in the show notes. But mm-hmm. he studies entrepreneurs with ADHD. Um, he is a professor, and what we understand now is, yeah, it's it's a nobody knows exactly how many entrepreneurs have ADHD, but if you just look at the traits, what success as an entrepreneur requires. It requires that you are able to think outside the box. Mm -hmm. It requires that you're able to make connections that other people don't make so that you'll say, well, why don't you try this? Or you know what would be great if um, people with ADHD are natural brainstormers and Mm -hmm. natural creative problem solvers. Mm -hmm. They will go to the quickest distance between two points they won't have the patience to do the roundabout way they're not going to go to a ton of meetings they don't want to be on committees they're quick starts they make quick connections they act quickly you know that minimum viable product they'll Mm -hmm. be the ones who will just ship it even if it's not perfect Mm -hmm. and then they'll keep improving it from there they're they're divergent thinkers so Mm -hmm. i if you think about it the only thing that really shapes the culture is a fresh idea, otherwise it's same old, same old. Mm. So people who have a different kind of brain, they have a different kind of wiring, they're naturally going to be drawn to the opportunity to do something different and not to have their own boss. You know, no matter how many mistakes we make, people like me hate being told what to do and rarely ask for help. We prefer to figure it out ourselves. And we have a high tolerance for failure because we have a lot of experience with it.
0: Yeah. So
2: it's like, well, that didn't work. Now what? Damn it. That didn't work either. Shit. Fuck. Now what? And then you just keep <laughs> trying until it does. And most people are like, oh, why would you put yourself? Th- I mean, all you do is work on that stupid prototype. And you're like, <laughs> I'm so close. Oh. So I think we don't, we are not good employees because number one, we don't like being told what to do. Mm-hmm. Number two... We have to do things our way. Mm. Yeah. It, it isn't, a, it's people see it as rebellious. I have been called rebellious. I have been called flippant. Um, mm. I've been called, you know, uh, oppositional. Mm. It's not that I, I want to do what's asked of me, but it has to make sense to my mind first, mm-hmm. or I simply can't. Like instructions, when I get something new, and I'm not a techie, but. When I get a new microphone or I get a new piece of software or even a new cell phone, I throw the instructions away. To me, they're destructions. <laughs> I have to pick it up and start to fuck around with it yeah. and figure it out because that's how my mind works. Well, you don't make a good employee when you refuse to read the employee manual.
1: So having saying. a revelation over here. I'm literally, like, is, I told you that is me. I, girls,
2: I told you this might happen, okay?
0: You know what's interesting? So it's the funny thing that that really struck me me is that you said, you know, a lot of people have ADHD qualities, but then they're only a problem if you don't know how to manage them. Mm. And
2: That's I, how I feel.
0: Yeah. I think that, you know, when I look at because a lot of these things resonate um, or some of them do definitely. But then I go through the failures that I've had that help me teach help teach me how to manage them. Mm-hmm. Right. Like mm-hmm. you can't be. In, in my role, like as a brand marketing leader, I need to be a visionary um, and I need yes. to drive people toward a goal to create a specific um, result for a company. However, if I don't, if everybody on my team isn't happy and around it and feeling good and feeling like they are taken care of, then we're never going to be able to achieve that goal, right? So it's like that that crazy driven you know, part of my brain. I've learned to balance that over the years with the... Yeah, because,
2: you know, know, the thing is, is that you're still female, right? Mm -hmm. Now, in the past, historically, most entrepreneurs were men. Mm -hmm. Because men, generally speaking, are not a single parent with dependent children. Mm -hmm. But 50% of all women will be at some point in their life. Mm -hmm. They will be a head of household with one or more dependent children. I was a single parent of three for a decade.
0: Mm-hmm. So, same
2: too you, so you can't you know you can't I, I listen I it was very clear that I had all the entrepreneurial traits from a very early age I sold more Girl Scout cookies than the rest of my troop put together <laughs> for the badges I was going for the I had so many badges I look like Rambo <laughs> I had like two sashes crisscrossed over my chest right um and it was it, it was I didn't even I got badges and gin, I didn't even care about because <laughs> it's that focused effort and achievement. I just loved it. I didn't care about the money, I didn't care. I cared about reaching the goal and mm-hmm. it was always very addictive to me. And you know, if you're a female and you have dependent children or or family members to, to care for, you can't you can't do the crazy entrepreneur thing where you work night and day and you don't take a salary for a while because you gotta pay your contractors and whatnot. Mm-hmm. You know, women generally have to do what is more stable and secure. And I I had to do that. So I actually didn't start working for myself into well into adult life. But I think, you know, like ADHD, there are traits. Mm-hmm. If you have impairment. You may have a diagnosis, mm-hmm. so you must have impairment for you for for it to be diagnosable. If it's just traits, I think we make natural born entrepreneurs, and yeah. um, but in general, we will need people to do the things we suck at, and there will be quite a few of those things, so that we can focus on the things we do best. I'm sure you're familiar with the concept of zone of genius.
1: Yeah, tell us what the zone of genius is.
2: Okay, so I'm going to reference a book, The Big Leap mm-hmm. by Gay Hendricks. It was published in 2005. It's probably my favorite nonfiction book that I love to give to clients and other people. So in The Big Leap, he talks about a concept, many concepts, of a fabulous book. I highly recommend that you both get it. Mm-hmm. Um, it talks about a concept called the zone of genius, which is the thing where things that you do so well, so ridiculously well, so naturally well that you almost feel guilty getting paid for it, but you take the money. And um, <laughs> it's like there are people who are just natural speakers. I'm a natural speaker. I love public speaking. I don't even need, I don't need a script. I don't need, I once had to get up and get give a talk to a room full of people on 15 minutes notice because it turns out the woman who went up before me gave the talk I had prepared to give. <laughs> I literally had to pull something totally different out of my butt and just stand up there and do it. So when you when you're working in your zone of genius, it's like wow, where did you learn to do that? And you're like, I know. I mean, it came with the package. I you know, I it's, it's just a natural skill, and and everybody has that thing. But then there are things that literally I could not do if you put a fucking gun to my head. Just couldn't do it. Yeah, like I've triple booked myself. I'm terrible with the calendar. Mm so you just don't do the things you suck at double down on the things you're good at and Mm -hmm. hire the right people to compliment you and support you in their zone of genius. So oh, that you don't have to woman. do all the things. That's why it's,
0: <laughs> That's amazing. That's why it's so
2: But it's so hard in the beginning when you're a solopreneur mm. and you're all by yourself and you have to wear all the hats because half the hats are either going to be loose and sloppy or they're going to be so freaking tight they give you a headache. Yeah. You know, but to be able to have a team where each person is working in their zone of genius, oh, that's magic.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that is solid advice for entrepreneurs. That is really solid advice. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, Diane. It's honestly been, this has been one of the most interesting discussions I think we've had on the podcast. It's been such a pleasure to speak with you. If anyone wants to work with you. thank you so much. I
2: look forward to hearing it when it comes out.
1: (laughs) If anyone wants to work with you, where can they find you?
2: Well, you have to be able to type Diane with a funky spelling into your search (laughs) bar. So it's Diane Wingert Coaching, and that's D-I-A-N-N. And I'm sure you'll have a link in the show notes. notes. And I should also tell you that if you like the sound of my voice and the things that come out of it, I uh, have a podcast of my own called The Driven Woman. Mm -hmm. And it is for ambitious women who are falling short of their goals, whether they have ADHD or not. Um, And uh, I would love to uh, have some of your listeners come and check that out, too.
1: Absolutely. We'll put a um, link to that podcast in the show notes as well. Um, beautiful. Fabulous. Oh,
0: so so good. I think um, you've given me so much to google. Mm. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. definitely well, if definitely someone...
2: follow up with me if you yeah. have more questions, I <laughs> yeah. would be delighted to to sort things out for you and definitely uh, worthwhile spend of my time on Valentine's day with the two of you oh
0: thank you and just so our listeners know as they're googling you because i'm sure some people are going to be like i want to hire her now um do you you know i've have these traits or this or that or whatever people are thinking you are hireable as a life coach plus do you have like a variety of services on your site or that you offer
2: Currently, I am only working with people one-on-one, so the folks that I am best qualified to help are female entrepreneurs, Mm -hmm. creatives, or independent professionals who are not absolute beginners but are feeling stuck trying to level up, Mm -hmm. Um, and I work with them on a 12-week program. Mm -hmm. I'm also working on a course and a group program, but they're not available yet.
0: Beautiful, but we can watch the space for that too. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I'll let you know
2: when everything's live.
0: Ah, so good. Okay. All right. Well, we are stalking you and connecting with you on every platform possible. You already have a LinkedIn invite from
1: me, and we will chat soon. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, Dan. My pleasure. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by Invoice2Go. We're an invoicing and billing app that helps business owners work and get paid from anywhere at any location around the globe. And we're helping close the gender-based pay gap. Because the current US gender-based pay gap sits at around 19%, listeners of the Female Founders Network podcast will get exactly 19% off of any subscription. Just use the code EMPOWERWOMEN at checkout.